All right, so we find ourselves where it all started in uh, Millie's apartment because this is where we. Uh, so we should say we're uh, here with Chris. What's up? Um, Ian Chi, new to the pod. What's going What's up? on? How's it going? Editor on the new film, and of course, director Dan Chen. Hello. And you guys, the two of you, Ian and Dan, are in town from Los Angeles. Welcome to New York, guys. Thank you. Amazing to be here. Yeah. Dan's a re- return guest. Uh, he's been on the pod several times uh, within the last five-ish years. So, Dan, thank you for joining us again. Guest and a Patreon supporter. And now... Major contributor, which we'll get to, uh, as I'm sure a lot of listeners know. But um, yeah, uh, team, continue, please. Film's dropping tomorrow. So you, you, you guys are in town because we put together this live event. And uh, you finished the film. We looked at the film. We loved the film. You guys did all these assets for it. You guys did the poster. You guys did all this stuff. And then we had this call saying, okay, well, how do you want to drop the film? Like, what do you want to do? And you guys were like, yeah, we're going to put it on YouTube. And I'm like, yeah, and... And you were like, you're going to put it on YouTube. Yeah, you, it's going to go viral. Get the, get it's going to be views. awesome. And I'm get like, the you, you, it's so anticlimactic. we got to have a live event. And so in, in two and a half weeks, mostly off the efforts of you guys and, and, and Millie, we're able to put together this live event that is like pretty much at capacity. I don't think we can really fit any more people in this space that we, that we rented, which is a very nice space. So tomorrow's going to be this like premiere event. And I'm like... Chris, I think we overachieved here. Yeah, I was just thinking. Remember how we were thinking of doing our first ever live Plan A event right before COVID hit? Yeah, we were like very like sketchy plans. Yeah, like, yeah we there, there were no real. Yeah, we but we, we were thinking like I remember like March 2020. We were thinking like days which we could do it. like okay weekends are gonna be expensive. Maybe we could do it on a, like Wednesday or Thursday, but well, you know maybe people wouldn't show up. And then COVID hit, and then it's like three years later. We're finally actually doing it, and yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're still around. We're still it's, a, it's a way cooler event than I had in mind. Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. We we're yeah. just gonna be like, yeah, we're, what a mixer. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but now we have an actual like unifying project to get behind. And uh, what? Yeah, why don't we? I, I want to hear because you guys have told me a lot of stories about the day it was shot. Unfortunately, I wasn't here. I was in Korea at the time. Uh, but it was in New York, you guys. It, uh, there are a lot of fun stories. I I don't think you guys have talked about that on the pod yet, right? Um, we might have. Um, but we talked about that dinner, that again. first night, that yeah, dinner at right. Louise. We talked about that. Yeah. yeah, right. But I'm sure there were like other stuff. And plus, you could tell that again, please. Uh, but I think I think I think our listeners will want to hear that. You know? Yeah. I, I so, think the big thing was how did China Mac end up in this film because it was <laughs> see that that's another i was telling you guys how there was a little bit of serendipity this whole thing like for the example Everything. how yeah. we thought of reaching out to you guys to do a film like not we were just asking you like hey like would it be something you'd be interested in but then you know because we're you know we just we just fuck around we're not serious so we didn't call you but then you just separately reached out to us and then that was serendipity and the other one was i was like i think i told millie this i was like okay whatever happens we need to get China Mac in this film. She's like, who's China Mac? I'm like, this is this guy. He's just got to be in the film. And we couldn't find him. Can't reach we him. Can't reach Doesn't him. Doesn't answer any of our texts or DMs or whatever. And then he just showed up. Like, in front of your camera. Like, he we, just- were, we were in a restaurant with DCC. We, had, we were following them. There was the, it, was the karaoke, it was the karaoke scene mm-hmm. that you see in the film. We were DCC inside- is Dragon Combat Club. Yeah, yeah, we were inside filming. We'd mm-hmm. filmed for nine hours that day. We're ra- getting ready to wrap up, and then I don't remember who it is. It might have been Millie saying, "China Max outside," 
I I have him. Do you want me to? Do you want him to talk? I'm like, yes. <laughs> did he know? Did he know you guys were there, or was he just like chilling and just like? Oh. I, I I think someone from Dragon Combat Club was outside, and Millie was also outside, and they said hi. And then it was like, okay, we got to trap him and have him talk I, to us. I did hear later. I heard that he knew you guys were do- shooting. Oh, and really? he asked. Oh, really? You were. I think he went to that, one of the places you were at, one of the business, like maybe the sneaker shop. Yeah. And then the guy told him oh. that you guys were shooting and then he went looking for you guys. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. a different story. I thought we literally just ran into him, but that is also kind of fun. It's, it's even crazier. Because he, he wanted to talk to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he ends up, I think, I don't know, like, we have this 30, you guys did this really cool 30-second teaser, and it's him saying that line that you guys, when he told you that night, I remember you guys came back to my place and you were sort of, like, frightened and, like, also <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, he was like, did you hear what the guy was saying about how the weak just get eaten? <laughs> like I was like, I can't get that line out of my head. Yeah, when, when times get tough, the weak get eaten. That's just the simple fact. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, and, he, yeah. you know what I like about it, though? Because a lot of times when we talk about, you know, violence, attacks, crime, it can get very academic. And I just loved how China Mac put it in this very visceral, easy-to-understand way, you know? Yeah. I thought that was uh, it was the right line to putting that teaser like it just because uh i don't know i just yeah he had a way of just distilling it down into something slightly terrifying <laughs> totally, totally. You know, but you know he means it like he's not you're kind of like yeah that's i can't really fault his logic there uh <laughs> yeah he's just stating <laughs> it plainly that's true that and true. and really yeah. that teaser yeah. is just built off of the opening of the movie which ian edited so all yeah. all we did was just put some flourishes on that and Say, hey, here's the teaser, you know, want more? Watch the movie. A lot of it just came together, man. The whole thing just kind of organically rolled along. Like half the people in the movie that we filmed with are not people that I know, are not even people that Hen knows, it's people that you know, teen. And you were like, hey, you should talk to this person. You should talk to Chong. You should talk to Ron Kim. And so, you know, at first when I was thinking about the movie, it could have been like, oh, what if we just follow Hen from Dragon Combat Club? Or what if we just follow another person from Dragon Combat Club through like a week of time? And very quickly, you know, a lot of the people in Dragon Combat Club are busy or like they don't want us to film on their homes. And I'm like, totally understand that. And then you kept on mentioning there's all these people in New York to talk to about this subject. And then the idea kind of evolved to be, well, what if it's more like a let's wander the streets of New York and everyone we run into, let's listen to them. And that's the shape that the film has taken now. I mean, these are like kind of people we've known, Chris, right? Like Ron is someone we've known for a while. And I don't see. I don't know if they know each other that well. Like, he, I don't think he knows Chong. I would know? see no real reason why they would know each other. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he knew Hen. Yeah. I so I think no. the the interesting thing about your project is you guys are coming into New York as outsiders, and if you watch the film, it appears that these people are some sort of community. group of people that know each other in their community, and in a way they are, but they also they don't know each other right. until you make the film. Right. And you kind of weave it together, and I thought that that was a very kind of cool effect that happened, because this is what I'm hoping for, like, tomorrow you do the live event, you put these people in a room, and they actually get to know each other, and they should know each other. Yeah. Because you see the commonality in them. Yeah. Right? And, um, but you need, yeah, you need someone to to do that. To draw to the sh- lines. To yeah. shuttle all around the city. To connect the, the, city, the dots, connect basically. Them. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, 
uh, you know, I'm a little superstitious, but I'm like, yeah, I thought that the way things worked out meant that you had a heavenly mandate, right? Like this was a good project. I don't want to oversell it, but I mean, I think it, I just think it turned out really good. It 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 really matched kind of what, in a way, uh, I had in my head. I didn't know it was really like that, but then mm. I watched it. I'm like, yeah, this is what I was like, kind of dreaming about. Like this is, like, really, this, yeah. Totally. At the outset, you were like some kind of film project, some kind of thing that had this kind of feeling, that had this um, look to it, and. And then the things that a lot of the ideas that you guys hatched just really worked out well. Like you said, you wanted to use Cindy uh, CL's music because you were playing her music when we got home from filming. Oh, yeah, that one was night. another weird, totally yeah. randomly, totally random, yeah. 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 Or maybe you were just trying to incept us. But no, I didn't. I, I was just randomly, just like I had nothing to do, so I yeah. was just you know. And then, um, so the way that that track like uh, worked into the film. It sounds really good. Like it makes yeah. it feel diff. I'm not talking my own book here. Like you know, you know, if I don't like something, I, I'm pretty. I will say it. No, it sounds anxious and yet energetic, and and yet kind of like motivating. Yeah, all I thought at it was the same really time. Cool. Have you, you know? seen that part yet? The the one with the teaser. Have you? Have yeah, you, I mean, I've yeah. seen I've seen them all. Yeah. Don't you think it's good? The yeah, music, no, sure. like it yeah. just. I think using something pre off the shelf wouldn't have worked as well it wouldn't have had the same feeling for yeah. sure yeah 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 so anyway keep it in the family yeah because that because she does the the like the opening intro to plan a right now right yeah yeah mm-hmm. so how do you feel about your own project guys i mean it came together very organically i've been a long time plan a listener and then i kind of just texted you guys on a lark because uh, I had heard about Dragon Combat Club and was kind of thinking, well, if they're interested in doing any kind of film thing, maybe this subject matter is something we would all find interesting. Um, and then I've I've have been on pods with you guys, but this project was really a nice opportunity to get to know you guys more, to get to know the city of New York City more, and to meet all the people on the ground, you know, dealing with community outreach and training people and protecting people. And then getting to work with my friends like Ian, who I've known for years, and we always like finding projects we can work together on. And very grateful that Ian, you came on as like a producer and an editor. Um, so much of this film is shaped by the edit, and so I don't know, just it all just like rolled together very nicely, up to and including us being right here in this room in New York and doing a premiere in New York tomorrow. We were just talking about before we started recording, like. <clears throat> hen as a central figure just in terms of like this is a guy who's done martial arts for what like 10 years or something and then people start getting interested and then COVID happens and the anti-asian attacks happen and then his skills just happen to be useful to the people around him Hmm. but then some more time passes and then you know you tell me about this idea and then it gets a crew board all these people come to new york and then millie producers it's like it's like it's like usually all the projects that i'm a part of there's like it's top down. It's like someone at a company is like, we want to make an advertisement to push this. And there's already like a set agenda. Hmm. But in this case, I feel like it's been like a true grassroots effort where it's like no one from the top is doing anything to make something about this. It's just like people on the ground that these seeds of ideas or like what they want to do is there. And then it's just like, 
I see it blossoming. Cause we were, you know, like TNL, you were saying like, we were just going to release it on YouTube, but then we got on a call and then it just blossomed into something much more. It's like, no, let's make it a thing. Let's make, let's get together in person. And like all these people, we have like over a hundred people I think that are going to come out, which is pretty dope. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we got like an article coming out with Allison at ASM news and just everyone's kind of coming aboard. It's just kind of like got a momentum of its own, which is pretty cool to see. That's a special feeling. I don't think that happens very often, you know, where like there's just an all in feeling. It's like no one's feeling like they have to do this as a job or anything like that. We all truly care. So that's cool to see that snowball over time. Also, because like plan A isn't like a corporation or a company like you guys just do this because you want to do it. And the Patreon funds, which I feel like we're all very grateful for it, for making this all possible. That just comes through because people like like listening to this and think it's useful to them and so it just it's all from the root of all of that come like i wanted the project to reflect that as well like let's just naturally follow our curiosities and be very open to what happens and not try to dictate the outcome too much and that's where we end up here i think a couple things that helped us was uh, like from the beginning, Chris, right? When we were doing, when we were like, oh, wait, we're actually accumulating some money here. I mean, nothing nothing um, that would turn us into like a business that we would actually pursue as a business, but just on the side, it was very easy for us from the beginning to be like, yeah, we're just custodians of these funds. Like these, this is not our money. This is, these are, they're not giving us money. They're just like, they're, they're telling us, here's some cash and we trust that you guys can do something with this. And so I think that attitude like really helped us just kind of stay friends and not like just remove the business aspect from the like we never had any pretension of ever doing and I don't consider what we did here anything related to business. This movie is not, mm-hmm. we're not monet- we have no plans to monetize nope. it as far as I know. Nope. Um I don't care to. Nope. Um and I think that really helps if you're doing that and then I noticed like there were a couple things in the project that you were like, yeah, we really want to get this song. Mm-hmm. Like it really fits, but it's a kind of pain. We got to deal with the label. We got to deal with, we got to get two licenses. We've got to deal, you know, whatever. And then, um, but it wasn't much money, but it was just like, dude, it, cause the project was small. It's easy to just be like, yeah, just do what you want. Like, you don't have to compromise on a small project. Right. Right. And then with the with the film premiere, it's another thing. It's like, why cheap out on, you know, renting a space for two hours and flying you guys out here and miss out on that when it's only like just marginally more? You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. because it's a small project, it's so much easier to just go do a small project without compromise. Whereas lo- like larger projects, you've got to really worry about breaking your budget you know all that stuff totally so, totally and like fun. to their credit like yeah we were like kind of out of music funds at a certain point and we really wanted that song the aforementioned cl song and the record labels were like super nice and accommodating after they heard the situation that we're in they're like yeah go for it like use the song we believe in this project and yeah, so she was very what was her name um Jack Tone Records. Yeah, Jack Tone Records. They were like yeah, yeah. super nice, man. I, yeah. I was not expecting record people to be nice. It was and amazing. Was like, yeah, it was, was amazing. Really nice. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Every step along the way has been serendipitous yeah. in that way. Like in your ideal world, like what as a filmmaker, what would you hope happens 
once this is made and people see it like in, in as i said in your dreams what would happen so yeah we've been toying with this like idea of like what like why make this film in the first place and i think for me you know ever since covid started i've been seeing asian people get beat up and killed on social media that's just what my feed looks like and it feels like shocking and horrifying and sad and and almost very angry when i see these things and there's nowhere to really put that anger, right? Like, I'm not a vigilante. I'm not going to go out and, like, do anything about this. But I do want to do something, right? And so I'm a filmmaker. Um, and nothing I had, you know, I had no direct access to this story or how to tell this story until I heard about Dragon Combat Club. And then I, and I heard that you guys were interested in helping me tell this or explore this curiosity, I guess. And so I guess my hope is just to like let people who are feeling that same kind of frustration and sadness and anger and then showing them like here's a group of people that went out and took direct action and, and rallied their community and the people around them and donated their time and donated their bodies. And really, it comes from a place of love, you know, even though it comes from like, you know, kind of this like hard ass, badass kind of image, but like it comes from a place of love what they do. And so I would just like to transmit this feeling i think the film is trying to deliver this feeling of like empowerment and not like just bullshit corporate representation empowerment but like actual empowerment like you can go out and do something yourself right now and you can bond with the people in your neighborhood right now and there are people out there doing it right now and so yeah that's my hope yeah yeah i was just about to say i mean just even the title i'm not an activist it's uh the word that keeps coming up for me is just ownership and conversations early on that Dan and I had together, you know, Dan sent me a couple of references of pieces that were made after the anti-Asian attacks. And they were very much kumbaya, like candlelight kind of thing of like, you know, there's been this many attacks, but what was missing was like a sense of just like empowerment to people. And what I really appreciate about, about Dan's direction and everyone involved in the cast and crew is there's no sense of victimhood and there's right. no sense of like uh you know trying to garner sympathy or something it's just people like showing up and doing stuff and i think it's a pretty i haven't seen much with that kind of tone of just like just empowerment you know in a new york style too which yeah. is just like yeah like and china mac the way he talks about it i think embodies it pretty well you know, like, yeah. are we just going to sit around and do things as, as is or are we going to like do something about it? And this this film is just like a positive, like empowering vibe of like people doing something about it, which I really appreciate. So I hope people feel that, you know, that those good vibes, that empowering vibe. Just about the to build off that, like, I feel like everyone in the film who speaks kind of has a I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Vibe. And I think that's another thing we're trying to transmit is like, don't be afraid to have an opinion about this and don't be afraid to take a stance on things. And so I, I feel like everyone in the film that we're featuring isn't afraid to talk about shit and isn't afraid to like put their views out there. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like a lot of Asian American survival strategy can be in America. Uh, well, let me, what's everyone else saying? Okay, well, let's, you know, let, let's say that. That sounds like a safe thing to say. Let's do that. Um, there's not a lot of us, like population wise. So like, yeah, it's safer to like find a coalition and try to be a part of it. And what I really respect about everyone that we've talked to in this film is they're not afraid to just have an opinion 
and they don't need it. They don't need someone else to form it for them. I love that. Yeah, it's not looking for anything outside of themselves at all. Yeah, like it's just them being themselves and like they're doing what they're doing and being themselves. Yeah, let's talk about that title. I'm not an activist because there is quite a strong implication there that, that like activist, however you define it, is something we don't want to be for various mm-hmm. reasons. Can you expand on that? Like, how did you choose the title? Like, what's the meaning behind it? I think part of it is it, it should kind of make you sit for a second and think, what? What does that mean? <laughs> and, I, and I want you to question it. And there's a couple of reasons for that title. I think the most straightforward way into that title is what China Max says, which is, I'm just doing it for my people. Like, I'm just doing what I think is a normal thing. I'm not, I don't consider that activism. And I think that's a very just ready, tailored way to read it. Um, when you go out and help people, when you go out and do something, you don't have to label yourself as that. And I, th- you know what I think uh, as I'm talking about this, ever since like, you know, the social media activism that's like really been in vogue in the past decade or so, it's always like we're all talking about like the biggest ideas possible. Like you're, you're going to go online and talk about racism on like Twitter and you want your opinion to like shape these like huge ideas and opinions and you want to make a difference in these huge ideas and opinions with, you know, getting debates with people. And, and that's kind of what activism has taken. Or you can even like have a march and, and, and the march is about an idea, right? What idea are you trying to promote or not promote? And I think, you know, what Dragon Combat Club does is they just meet every Wednesday and Friday and they just train people and they don't call it activism, and, but it helps people. And so I think it's kind of like, a, can we, in some ways, make activism less about an identity for ourselves and make it more about what can we provide for people? And if we can do that, then I think that's a step in the right direction. I think it's a great title. It came from um, China. Ma- he said that. He said that. In that he, and he said, but you guys elevated it to a level because I don't think he said it as a statement. He, it was sort of off the cuff. Like, yeah. I'm, it, he was almost like, you know, I don't, I'm not an activist. I'm just a guy doing whatever. He was trying to be humble about it. But I, I, I interpreted you guys picking, picking up on that to be almost the sort of rejection of the term activist. Because there were, because I, I think, and, and this is the thing, I don't know, I feel like you, the film picks up on this. I don't know if this was in something that was part of your intention or it just sort of is starting to align from my perspective is that the activist response to a lot of this has proven itself to be very corrupt. Mm. And, um, and I mean that like, like, in in a formal sense, like it's money corrupted. Stop Asian hate. Stop, is it stop AAPI hate now? Or Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it changed to that. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen people still call it stop Asian hate. I mean, yeah. to the extent that people still talk about it, which yeah. is very few. Yeah. yeah, not very few. But I think they were going with the BLM model, which, if anyone followed BM, BLM from, you know, was it really like St. Twi- Louis or? Oh yeah. Uh, like from uh, the very uh, beginning. What, what? Ferguson. Yeah. Zimmerman, uh, Trayvon Martin, right? Yeah. That was 2014, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, a lot man. of the original founders of BLM were killed. And slowly BLM was co-opted and corrupted by money, NGO money, and a lot of that ultimately probably government money. 
And now it's indisputable. I mean, this is now, everyone kind of knows now, and this, um, this is not a conspiracy theory, that BLM has a major corruption issue, right? And, they, yeah. and so I think the Asian-American activists, there, there was a certain quality to it that disturbed me because they were mostly gaslighting the issue and going off t- topic. They weren't really, like, they were started talking about stuff that had nothing to do with the violence and stuff. They started, you know, just went off in these very strange tangents. And I was like, you can't trust activists these days. Hmm. You, you guys ever notice how a lot of times when you see activists, they're also, like, actor-model activists. That's how you know it's, it's like a, It's like a branding term. It's a, it's a multi-hyphenate thing. Yeah. They're all a bunch of like wannabe entertainer stuff. And it, that's why... Cause that, yeah, because an activist... When you think of an activist, at least in the m- most dictionary sense, it, it's like the local community provider. They have no interest in personal uh, fame or riches. They're and just it's often to, a selfless kind right, of calling. Right, but now, yeah. nowadays, I, it, you're like an influencer. That, that's basically... It's become conflated with that. So I think that, that's why it's a good title. You, you're just saying, no, we, I just want to help people my people um and there's like a stigma against like especially asians identifying too openly as asian you know yeah so, but it's like no th- these are my people these are who i live with and i don't care uh what people think because even even though the topic of a bunch of asians getting together to teach each other self-defense should not be controversial there was controversy about that like china mac is a very divisive figure there are people we reached out to you know, try to get their support on this, on this short documentary that I knew was not going to work because I know these people and who they associate with online. And I, there's, there's like a China Mac camp, and there's like the you know so-called like activist camp. Yeah, he hmm. he he was having a very public dispute. with yeah. Eileen, was it Eileen Huang? Was that? Her oh name? yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. Like, like, no, but that <laughs> I mean, was yeah. that's what, that's that her and there yeah. were like other people, uh, like like Yuli New and and all that, and it was just like I mean they all say they're all for the same things, but it's clearly. You know, there's a power struggle going on. Do I smell smoke? Um, Coming from another apartment? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hopefully we'll survive this <laughs> inferno. But <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, by us having China Mac on, us saying I'm not an activist, us ha- featuring Dragon Combat Club, which um, I, I think we'll get to it later. But there was a, uh, mag- a article in New York Magazine this time last year, which kind of like painted... And it had the infamous cover of, of it was like this, uh, it looked like kind of like a fobby older Asian woman with a mask on. She had like the, the mace and a taser. And it, the, the implication was, oh, look at these like, kooky, paranoid Asians and their silly little uh, fears. And then I think it painted Dragon Combat Club as this almost almost like a like an urban militia type. You know, you, you think of those whacked out uh, people in, in the woods of like Idaho thinking the the government's gonna you know sterilize them or something and this is this is all reaction you know it's like saying um no fuck that 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 that, that's why they say pictures worth a thousand words because when he wrote that article claiming that you know stuff like dragon combat club was just um aesthetic aesthetics and performative activism this this is the nation piece or the new york magazine piece it's not the new york magazine i think it's the nation yeah 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 yeah. which you excerpted in the film actually i think you 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 actually yeah i believe we excerpt terms that yeah article which i i rejected because first i do think i don't consider them activists they're community organizers but i don't think they're political activists right um but 
yeah, to what Chris is saying, you know, there is um, this almost reflexive fear or antipathy towards community action, real community action, that they don't like because there is in the um, in this culture of um, activist orgs that are really well-funded NGO-type orgs, um, they want community dependence, right? They want you to be dependent on them. And so they want to just, it's almost like they want to monopolize what you can and can't, can and can't say and do about this. Right. And part of that is painting an image of people that's false. Painting an image of these people, like you said, as sort of like, I think, ethno-nationalist extremists, you know, very off-base stuff. But if you just read the word, how are you going to rebut it? With another word? Well, your word is not worth their word because they are printing it in the nation or they're printing it in the Atlantic or whatever. Mm. So your word mm. isn't worth shit compared to their word because mm. their word has institutional backing. Right. But an image, you know, I think an image has a more, has a better fighting chance. Not just against the word, but against competing images because it's just very hard to, to it's very hard to just, um, uh, uh, you know, create a false image out of nothing, right? Like, to show these guys actually training under the Manhattan Bridge like you guys did, mm -hmm. that actually had to happen. Yeah. And then we look at this group of people and you're like, these are just, they, they look like, first of all, they're not ethno-nationalists. It's white people, black people, Asian people. Yeah. Okay, and none of them look like they're crazy. They just look like regular ass like people showing up in scrubs because they just got off work. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, I thought that Nina excerpt was mm -hmm. really quite powerful. Like, it's just this woman who's scared and found uh, a community that uh, you know empowered her to just go out in the world again. That's it. Yeah, it's not really just about her being able to, you know. I don't know, some take guy. part, yeah, take yeah. part in some ex, you know crazed extremist thing. It was like, dude, I'm just want to get out of my house, get some exercise, meet some people, so so I don't feel alone. And that was real because I saw the image. You could write about it, and it just doesn't. If it always feels like the writer can manipulate the way, I think it's a bit. You can manipulate images, but I I, I do feel it's it's just that much harder. And I was like, that your contribution to this debate that has been raging, you're not really. Because you're a filmmaker, I don't think like you're as, um, you guys are as um, uh, entangled in the shit the way <laughs> me and Chris are because <laughs> we operate in words. And the, just the level of gaslighting and lies and whatever, it's so much easier to rebut with a film. You know what I mean? Like it just you just see it and you're like, so much of the stuff that has been written about this just falls away. It's bullshit because I see what these people are like. I see what they're doing. That's it. I don't have to fight you on this. You just look, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean, Chris? Like, Yeah, I, th I think the problem with writing is that there's so much things that other factors have to fill in, which is why I think, like, you can write the exact same sentence as, who, who's the one? Seth Berkman? He's the guy who wrote for Nation, I right? think that's right, yeah. Seth, yeah. Write the exact same sentence, but because his is published in The Nation... Because words are a very fractional representation of what they're trying to say, um, 
the the credibility of the institution comes in full power. But with like a film, you got pictures, you got words, you got faces, you got you even like smell. You can probably imagine just by looking at a picture. It, it like it doesn't matter who made the film. It doesn't matter that Plan A funded the film. It, it could have been made by I don't know Universal Studios, whatever. Like what you see, all that just fades into the background because it's it's so much more information coming directly to the person. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I've just been reflecting a lot on you know I've been making films my whole life and it's a lot of it's still very mysterious to me. But what is very clear as I get older is that like. I realize like PR or, you know, a lot of the things that we read in our college days or something like that is very heady. But I feel like the power of film is that when you can get emotive and you show someone's humanity, it, it like you start to see them less as like a belief system and just just a person with a soul. And when you're able to feel that depth of a person's soul, like you really can't argue and tell someone they're wrong anymore because their experience is totally valid from where they're coming from so i think that's the power of like you know nina talking about her experience just feeling insecure of not being able to go outside and feeling scared it's like you can't say she's wrong about that that's real like what she's saying about how she was scared but how she feels empowered now it's like a personal story that she's being honest about and there's no thing you know it's like it's very different from like intellectualization that chong even talked about it's very different from right or wrong about you know some kind of opinion or interpretation about some politics or something like that so that's something i think we felt very honored to be able to to show in these people as well yeah just to humanize people you know kind of get rid of those boundaries as well well it feels like sometimes with the writing that you guys are talking about it's kind of like a all right what's the message we're supposed to think let's like look for the evidence of you know to support that and then write about it i i think the approach with the movie that we very intentionally wanted was let's just go in. I don't know anything about what you guys are doing. Dragon combat club or say Ron Kim Assemblyman, or Chong, you know, community organizer and builder of things. You know, she got that bike lane made in her neighborhood. Um, I'm just here to learn. You tell me what's going on. And then we're going to like put it together in the, in the, in the way that best reflects what our learning journey was along the way. Um, yeah, I, I kind of think for me, for the way I do films is like, of course there is my own bias of like, I chose to do this film and I chose this subject matter. But then once I choose it, like I really want the people themselves to lead it. Like, I don't want to like impose my thinking onto it and everything in the film is things that they said that they meant. And we're just kind of weaving it together to kind of build a larger story of a community of people that may not know each other, but find that they're all saying different angles of a similar message. Yeah, though, I think in the process of doing this, to the extent that you were working with us, right? Yeah. Um, I felt there was good creative tension at points. Yes. Where uh, we were pushing you guys to be more explicit in some of the messaging that, that was coming across Whereas I think as filmmakers, maybe your instincts are to be a little bit more eye, eye in the room, you know, roving eye, mm. um, and just let things happen. Mm. And um, I think the tension there is because we are more verbally driven people. Hmm. Uh, Chris is a writer. I just talk. Um, is I was like, 
you, the the filmmaker's ideal is just that, I, in my opinion. Hmm. Meaning, you can never really approach that ideal. You do have to interject your own belief system into what you create also. Yeah. Um, and I think the more... This is just my personal opinion, but I think the more honest you are about what kind of bias you actually do want to put into the film, hmm. the better and more honest it is. Because I feel like the filmmaker who... Uh, I don't have a good example of this, so I'm just making... I'm just kind of saying this. But I feel like if you really believe that you can embody the ideal of absolute objective objectivity and, you know, just like, hey, I'm just here to show what I see and that's it, uh, you're unconscious of your bias or you're denying that it exists hmm. and then it becomes just dishonest. Yeah. And I thought... At least in watching the film, I'm like, look, you selectively edit. You gotta, you gotta pick out. I mean, you guys had so much footage, yeah, and words, and you picked out certain of them, but not others, and then put yeah. them in a certain order, yeah, and not others for a reason, yeah. Um, and uh, I do think your fingerprints are on this, you know, yeah, but in a good way because I think that you guys said something really. Uh, important and in a way, uh, yeah, very important. I'd be curious to Dan ask you about this, but I felt in going from the first to second to third iterations of the cut, there was a pretty massive evolution, and and um, like for me personally, cutting the film, it was maybe I forget how many hours it was, it was maybe like twenty twenty five hours something like that. Sure. Yeah. So it was like a lot, a lot of people that were interviewed, a lot on the cutting room floor. So I don't know. How, you know, 10 minutes out of 20 hours, I don't know how much percentage that is that we ended up putting in the film, right? But to me, the first time we cut it, it was, it was, I was trying to just be honest to each single interview, but then we realized, oh, we need to find kind of a common through line so that we are finding the common like communal theme of what all these people are going for because it seemed a little bit scattered. But it was like a that was the turning point where I just realized like like teen what you were saying it's like apparently all these people are separate but there is something that unifies them like let's tie it in together and kind of make it into this you know in my mind I was like let's just make this much more of a more, much more of a piece that like people can walk away feeling really good from and like the ownership and like the empowerment you know so it's like uh, I've always had that bias towards like anything I make I wanted to like nurture and power and challenge people and so i think that came through like and and even talking to the reporter who's like writing about uh the film when it comes out you know she says as journalists they're taught to be objective but really it's impossible because you're always coming from some kind of life experience like you know even when you try to be as objective as possible that's still a perspective like it's still you're choosing to do that as a human being as as that kind of that kind of angle but but anyways i don't know dan I, that that's that's kind of all over the place but i'm curious how you thought the progression of the film through the cuts, like how you thought it, you know, how it changed from what you thought it would be to what it ended up being. I think it ended up pretty close to what I thought it would be. But what I felt along the way, what the journey was, was how the hell do you make sense of 25 hours of footage? And I feel like cuts one and two out of the three main cuts we did, cuts one and two were trying to organize this footage in a coherent way, <laughs> which is a tall order. 
to put it in any kind of coherent order, right? And so I feel like we were trying to take all the things that people said and trying to distill it as best we could. And I think once we digested it and showed it to you guys, the Plan A team, for feedback, and you guys were like, I think you could push harder on here. I think this is not as interesting of a point as this other thing. Um, it really is the combination of that. It's like we got to know the territory that we had mapped out when we were making these first two cuts. And then we had heard some really useful feedback about like how it was resonating with the team. And then that allowed us to go into the third cut and just go like, all right, we figured out what to do. We know how to do it. We have a game plan. Let's fucking go balls out now. And I think that's kind of how it all came together. It's cool because I think when we were going for the second to third cut, I remember in between there, I think Millie told us, teen, some of the feedback. You said you had some thoughts about where you wanted to go. But it's like we almost had the same thoughts going to the third cut because we, I remember, I think we shared a third cut um, like before you even had the chance to tell us about those thoughts. But it was like, oh, this is like, dude, this is so much better. This is exactly what I was thinking. So it's like we honed it on that essence of the, like to me, the the essence of the film is that empowerment, the ownership, you know? So like the first cut, it was just like a lot more people. I th- I don't know how, it was much longer. I think it was, I don't remember, maybe like, Probably like 18 15, minutes. 18, 15 minutes. Yeah. The first one was probably 18. It was a lot. It yeah. was a lot. And then the second cut, it was honing in on like 15. Yeah. 15, something like yeah. that. And then by the, by the end, it was like choosing the absolute best to just hone in on the core that unified everyone, which is like, we're doing stuff. We're doing something about it, you know? And then the badass, like, you know, also went from like, I remember the second cut, there was like melancholy music and like in the Metro and things like that. But by the third time it was like, fully new we York, gotta move. like hip-hop like end with the mic drop you know like my friend vincent hip-hop beat you know when it comes with the title and just like a much more badass feeling so uh yeah uh, i, w- I want to know about that initial process when you said 25 hours what do you do do you go like all get in the same room you get a big tub of popcorn like we're watching this straight through we're taking notes uh do you watch it all at once or are you taking it chunk by chunk how does it work Uh, I think every team has a different process, but me, when I'm editing, I'll just watch through everything. Like, I treat all the footage like a block of marble. So 25 hours, that's the whole marble. And then I'll watch it through again, and then I'll start cutting out what I think doesn't belong. But then I'll do it again. And the more I do that, the more I'm kind of chiseling in and getting to just where the skin is of the statue, if that makes sense. So it's like just watching it over and over until you get a sense of like, this doesn't belong, this doesn't belong, this doesn't belong. And then after you've cut out enough stuff that doesn't belong, you start to hone in on, oh, okay, this is what it's about. And then once you have that like main kind of like amorphous, like, oh, this is what about, then it's then it's a matter of polishing, I think. Um, so that's just how I personally approach every project. But Dan, so, I don't so know So does the editor, do you do that with like the director or is that like the editor's job to pare it down to something that's shorter than 25 hours and then you give that to the director and then he well coming into so i wasn't actually on set so dan and i had meetings with millie so he would help frame it up for me of like what was most interesting to them on set or the original intention and i think that would help me inform like when i'm watching the footage oh that fits a lot with what dan was talking about and then pulling those things and obviously a documentary, especially one like this, it's very hard to envision exactly what the final product will be because you don't have a set vision of exactly what should happen. It's like in real time, like you guys were running around for four days 
talking to all these different people. So it's like even going into the edit process, we're still finding out what this is about. Whereas I think like narratives or commercials, it's like already set kind of, you know. Um, so a little combination. Yeah, I set off with the direction that Dan gives me. And then I think with the first cut, it's like that's like a that's like that's still in the honing in process of like, OK, what is this we're dealing with? Like and the, I think by the, I think we got to a pretty good, much more pointed place, like, you know, when we saw the second cut together. But it's like, yeah, we honed in a lot more together. I'm, I think we were on the same page at the end of the day. What feeling we we're going for, like the New Yorkiness, like kind of like the hardcore badassness, the mm-hmm. energy, the energy. Yeah, that was always a comment from the start, because I think it's very natural. I mean, it just makes sense. Like if if part of the subject matter is violent attacks and people dying intuitively there is sadness and melancholy there and i think we wanted to pay respect to that idea i think it wasn't until we started getting the third cut and we started to hear some of the feedback of like hey this kind of feels like a sad sack (laughs) kind of piece right and like what what is the point of something like that i think there was like well you know it sounds kind of weird to say but like that was a very energetic week we spent in new york that was a lot of in some ways, it was very fun to meet all these different people with all these very strong opinions who are all doing something about the problem we're talking about. And what if the movie reflects that rather than what we all know is true, which is this is a very sad thing that happens a lot. Um, but why don't we give it a different flavor and a different energy so that you, the viewer, can now view this in a different way? I think, I mean, that was just like a group effort that it all came together that way, I think. Yeah, I think from, I'm just remembering, like, tangibly speaking, like, some of the flurry of the city in the beginning or the way it ends, that was, like, a nice, like, going from the second to third cut, that was, like, oh, like, just kind of this, like, whirlwind energy, you know, like, going all around the city. I think that was a a really great The flurry wasn't there. I don't know if China was there until cut three. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So, like, a lot of discoveries were made in cut three. You know, so when we do the event tomorrow, yeah, um, that's something I wanted because, like, the crowd is going to be uh, New York Asians and yeah. a lot of Chinatown. Like, Carlin Chan's going to be there, Vicky is going to be there, um, and uh, one thing about this short film that I thought was very unique was that you guys are like Angelinos coming into New York City. And making a film about New York City as an Asian city. And New York City, unlike L.A., is not commonly thought of as an Asian city, Mm. right? Like, we could think of it as a global city, multicultural city. We could think of it as a wasp city, a Jewish city, and a black city. But I don't really think people think of New York as an Asian city the way they think of San Francisco, but especially these days, Southern SoCal as, like, the sort of beating heart of Asian culture in America. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of the few uh, works that ha- showcases New York City as an Asian city. And I think that's weirdly like unexplored, you know? So, how, as a dry run to the discussion tomorrow, yeah. Like, what was your. Um, experience of of New because like few people come to New York and just hang out with a bunch of Asian New Yorkers talking about Asian issues. You know, not even talking about Asian issues, just going to Asian businesses, 
hanging out with other Asian f- New York friends. Um, that doesn't match the the typical the typical ideal of New York City that most people come here to see as a tourist or a visitor. Uh, what was your yeah, like what was your how'd you feel about New York in that way from that from that perspective? You know, it's funny. I, I don't actually when I think about the two cities, I don't necessarily see it as like, well, the L.A. Asians are like this and the New York Asians are like this. And honestly, like you could divide up the L.A. Asians amongst, you know, the influencers and the working class and in New York. And you could probably do that in a similar way, you know. So um I honestly came here. I mean, what I love about New York is it's so dense. Everyone's living on top of each other. Uh, it can't help but be diverse in any given situation just because we're all so close to each other. And so, like, you see it in Dragon Combat Club. Like, this is a diverse group of people. Um, and they're not, like, flaunting it. They're just like, yeah, this is just the fact of the people who are interested in doing this work. We're diverse, you know? Um, I don't know. I guess the feeling I got from this documentary was like, these people aren't necessarily marketers. These people aren't, you know, trying to like get famous. They're just doing shit that needs to get done with the people around them. And um, that to me is a very refreshing energy that I want to transmit out there. Yeah, even beyond just being an Angelino, like growing up, I, to be honest, never even really thought much about Asian American issues or Asian American identity. Like it's this is probably the first overt Asian American oriented project I've ever done in my life, actually. So it had me thinking a lot. But among many things that made me think about were um, when the pandemic started and the attacks were happening, I actually had thoughts of like, oh, this is like really rare. But watching the footage and all the people that were talking, it I think it just like validated like this environment is very different from other parts of the country. But people need to be able to understand that and like just see that people's experiences are totally valid whether you're in New York or, or Kansas or Texas or whatever. And also to acknowledge that it's so vast. It's so vast. But you have to acknowledge that, you know, people in New York are dealing with this kind of stuff. And also, there's a lot on the cutting room floor. But I, I just remember Ron talking about the very underrepresented population. Like, people, the Asian American population in New York is among the highest in terms of percentage of people in poverty. And I was like, oh, shit, like, nobody ever talks about this. You don't, you don't ever hear about that. You know, so I think that that opened a new just a new door for me to realize, like, wow, it's a really broad spectrum of Asian Americans. And obviously we can't say that this film speaks for everybody, but hopefully it's a glimpse into one segment and also, you know, just encourages people to look into it more and also tell the stories of of other vulnerable populations as more. Um, and there's a, I think, you know, even talking about the event, we we're like, how can we invite people a part of Chinatown or different spectrums of the Asian American demographic too, because it's just so vast, you know, like there's like the, you know, like we, me personally, I just don't have much interaction with like the, the more vulnerable, you know, like lower middle-class kind of Asian Americans. And so like, that's that, it, it made me think about that too. It's like, how can we like proactively just connect with these fellow human beings as well as uh, just find a way to even know that they exist. You know what I mean? Just think it's important. So that, that these are some of the things I thought about editing the footage. Yeah, I mean, I I just think it's uh, that's I just that's just something about the film that I think is just unique because 
living here in New York, that film, your film, resembles the New York that I just like sort of see with my eyes hmm. more than most works, most than most things that take place in New York in films. Yeah, which totally idealize New York in a certain way. And I'm like, yeah, but you're looking at it like a fucking tourist would, you know? Like, like of course, your main character sure. lives right off Central Park. Yeah. And commutes by jogging through <laughs> through the park, you know? Like, nobody does that, you know? Yeah. You're in the fucking subways. Yeah. You're dealing with, you know, people just shouting random shit at you. That's everyone in New York, you know? Like, yeah. that's not... Uh, like that, you know, when they're walking, yeah. you know, yeah. like that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, it's, it's... That, you know, I don't know. It's just... It's just it's hard to, I think, make uh, a work about a city like New York without falling into tropes, you know? Probably the same is true as Los Angeles. Very much is true about Los Angeles. But, like, people have an idea of what it is, and they can't help but put that those ideas into what they do. But I didn't really see that in your – because maybe you weren't even thinking about New York, right? I don't think I was. But you were just here. So, I was just yeah. here because Dragon Combat Club is here, yeah. and their environment's a natural part of their story. But I don't think I had anything to say about New York specifically or LA specifically. But you say something about New York specifically. You're saying like out here is like kind of being out in the wild, right? Because yeah, a you're bit living on top of each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're a little bit more like, exposed. There's just right? way more yeah. touch points with strangers, good and you know potentially violent. It's a, it's a dangerous yeah. city. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So that's just a fact of the place. Like L.A., you know, it, violent attacks in L.A. don't have the same frequency or, or variety just because you're in your car in L.A. So it's just going to be a different experience. But in New York, you're going to take the subway. You're going to walk places. And that's it's way more opportunities for something yeah, cause you guys like were these doing, attacks to happen. I remember in your shooting schedules, you were like, yeah, we're going to follow this person from their job to <laughs> yeah. or they're on their commute. Like we're just yeah. going to watch them on their commute. Yeah. Nobody like that's very very. That's usually not what people do when it comes to, you know, New York doing stories. something about New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like I guess what I'm saying is in not thinking about New York and just following your subjects, uh, New York just seems a lot more natural. Truthful. It just came out a lot more natural. That's and I'm great. like, oh yeah, this is this, this is basically the city I live in. You know, hell yeah. Um, so that worked out really well. How are we doing on time? Five minutes. Yeah. 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 We're good. I think we can go yeah. off for a little bit more. Yeah. If yeah. you guys want to keep Mix. chatting. Yeah. I'm excited for the event tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you, you going to talk tomorrow? Oh, uh, maybe. Um, yeah. I think, I think there are plenty of talkers, but, uh, <laughs> you should just, because like, I guess I just feel like pressure to be <laughs> like the, the host so no, if you want to like grab the mic from me and ask questions too yeah. just do it yeah for yeah. sure yeah it's you good know? though it's good that you know you're controlling the you're emceeing the event because with that many people in a room you want to feel like there's a hand guiding it you know yeah i'm feeling a little ner- nervous really yeah i was like i haven't felt nervous about anything in a long time yeah that's a good sign i think the last time i felt nervous was when when we were getting married and then, uh, yes. And then before that was like high school. 
<laughs> three times you felt nervous in your yeah. life. I'm not a very nervous person, but like I kind of feel nervous. I'm like, shit, why? Why do I feel nervous? I don't know. That's exciting. I manage this anxiety. It's a fun feeling. Do, do, you, to do have, you have fears about public it. speaking? I don't, I don't think No, I don't have okay. fears about public speaking. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. I think because I don't know how like you guys are gonna like I don't know if my questions are gonna be fruitful. Lead to fruitful discussions. That that's like the thing about New York, like I, I just think it's something that I don't know. It's there's something there's something in my head that I want to try and get you guys to <laughs> say not not say but like the, a topic that I want because I think the audience is going to be very interested to hear it. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like New York City Asians don't really know ourselves as um like we don't see New York as an Asian city. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, you know, like there's not much. Like, you know, kind of how I said, like, Ron and Chong and Han, like, they, from an outside perspective, like, you watch the film, they look like a community of people that know each other and are working together, but in fact, they're not. Uh-huh. But this film will help foster yeah. that. Yeah. Right? Well, New York City as a whole, I don't think, it's so, it's such a freaking Asian city. Like, yeah, Chinatown is just one very core aspect of it, but it's just one, I mean, so many Asian neighborhoods. Going from, and I'm not just talking about Flushing either. Yeah. But like LIC now is where all the uh, young, hip, wealthy Asian yuppies live. Mm. You know, like. Uh, Bay, and then Bay Ridge and like yeah. Sunset Park. All, those all over. Places. You know, there's so many Asian neighborhoods. And then. Yeah. And then like you go to Midtown. There's all these like. It's all. It's like. There's every. Everyone forgets to talk about K-Town. Like there's like multiple. You know, there's K-Town on 32nd Street. Name me another K-Town that looks more like Korea than K-Town in, in Manhattan. Um, <laughs> and so, and that's one of multiple K-Towns. You know, there's like multiple K-Towns in the area. It's a very Asian city. Yet, Asian New Yorkers don't really see New York as like an Asian city. And it's weird. Because I'm like, a- New York City looks more like an Asian city. Like just on the vertical just on the yeah just like yeah. the the site of it like walking on 32nd street east of herald square probably looks more like seoul than any other spot in america but nobody think you know like it's not um this group of people that, that we're going to be having the event with like they live in new york they inhabit new york but they don't think of it as an asian city that's something i kind of wish would change i think that film kind of goes a little bit in that direction that's kind of why i'm pushing it that way yeah um it's a straight it's it's very hard to explicate what i'm trying to say so i'll say it on this pod but dean feel free yeah. to hand me some planted questions i'll spread them out in the crowd and then uh, we can uh, generate some discussion planted, what do you mean how, how, how like how would that work how are we gonna do this? Oh, like crowd <laughs> no, you know like planting questions oh you, like they'll ask the questions no like, like you you mm-hmm. like tell me to tell some of our friends to ask certain to questions ask that yeah, question. yeah, yeah 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 we'll, we'll get yeah I don't know. Back me up, Chris. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's it's it's. Yeah, uh, I think I know. I, I think Asians, population wise, are fairly well represented in New York City, right? But I think we are very removed from because I mean, you think of where Asians live, like Flushing, Bay Ridge, Sheepshead Bay, very far away from any of the places that would be desire like considered like desirable in New York. Um. So I think yeah, like Asians are might be, we might be here in number. We might be here even in longevity. We might be here for a while, but it's like all the places that are 
people don't really think about. But Chinatown and K Town are are you know right in the middle of Manhattan. The True, but uh, you know places. even when I until recently I was thought of like K Town in Manhattan as like it's just like it's like a block of a few Korean restaurants. I think nowadays, I mean actually, you know K Town's on the rise because in the last season of Succession, there's a very pivotal scene that actually uh, takes place in a like fancy bar called Maru, I think. Where all I don't know if you guys watched the show, but the but oh, the, is the karaoke scene? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where like Logan, I think it's right before he dies. Spoiler alert! He like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this show's been out for a while now. Like you should watch it if you're gonna watch it. But he, um, you know, he makes the last play with the kids, and I, I see it, and I there's a, there's a sign that also says like Wonju. I've never been in there. I think it's a restaurant. I'm like, hey, I know that sign. I've never been there. But yeah, in 2023, sure, K Town's kind of. A place where a billionaire family might go, but <laughs> like twenty years ago, no. I mean, so that's what I think. Yeah, like Asians, obviously been in New York for a while, uh, but unlike say LA or you know places like that, just like we just been very far away from any real like influence or power, at least outside of like the outer boroughs. It's interesting because I, I don't. I mean, I get what you're saying culturally about L.A. Like, we got some, like, you know, media stuff going on there. Um, like, there's a lot of influencer vibes. There's, like, you know, electronic music subcultures. But, like, I guess I don't see it as, like, this huge exporter. Or, like, I don't see it as a hugely, like, Asian-centric place necessarily. But maybe because, you know I mean? like, L.A., there... I mean, outside of maybe some, some place like Hollywood, every place... It's kind of an enclave on its own. So, um, yeah. Like, you've got like the Asian, like, very neighborhoods, but they're not looking like, like, in like New York, at least for a while, you know, everything revolved around Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Then maybe that's shifted to like Brooklyn more lately, but there are certain places where everything revolves around. Whereas maybe with LA, I don't know, I've never really spent much time there. Every place is its own uh, close-off ecosystem, so there's not as much, like, longing, um, looking at other places. I don't know. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, if I were to try to like make a quote-unquote an LA show, it would be, I think, more challenging than making a quote-unquote New York show. Yeah. Uh, you know how like the first episode? I know you're a girls fan. Um, Chris. Well, we both are. Tina and I both are. Oh, you're both girls fans. That's how we. That's what okay. Okay. So so the pilot episode of Girls ends with her leaving the hotel room uh, and walking out into New York City. Yeah. Out of the Warwick Hotel, she's walking right out, out of the Warwick Hotel, and and a, and a guy on the street is like, "Yo, you looking beautiful today." Yeah. And then she walks out into the, uh, the throngs of walking people. A very New York quintessential moment. I always had this vision of like if there ever were to be like an LA girls type show it like ends with like a, a character you know again hungover strung out walking out of this building and then they get into their car and they pull onto the 101 freeway <laughs> and then join just like a just like a standstill traffic that's beef and, yeah well <laughs> i was there a traffic scene in no beef? no I'm just, it starts with you know uh, like it starts a, with like a, yeah, a, car, a confrontation yeah, 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 in a parking yeah, lot yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah no but yeah i'm thinking more of like a, a half hour like lyrical coming of age type show you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it's just like okay like about the succession thing you know or the popularity suddenly of like that block that doyer street you know like so many shows want to incorporate a shot of doyer street hmm. and then you've got like these sort of um hipster type bars popping up in chinatown they kind of see the 
the coolness factor of Chinatown or whatever, and people get upset about this sometimes where they join in on it because it's cultural appropriation <laughs> or whatever. But the fact remains that it sometimes it's actually outsiders that will be like, yo, you got something kind of cool going on here. I wanted to be right. a part of this, you know? Right. And I'm like, but do Asian New Yorkers by and large recognize this about their own city? You know, or or is it or or do we uh you know, don't value it until someone else comes along and validates it and puts it in a show. And then we're like, oh, K-Town is cool. You know, that kind of thing. Let's find out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If this, I don't say. know. if this, See, that, that's what I'm trying to drive on this thing, whether that's actually even a good point. I, see, it's hard to maybe it's too hard to uh, talk about it in front of a crowd and have them understand what I'm trying to say. Maybe we should talk about filmmaking. i feel like we wouldn't have gotten the interviews we got if we filmed a story like this in la or even san francisco i think the the, the attitude that new yorkers have it's just more direct and more blunt and more yeah it's just that's what i yeah no no, i'm 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 agreeing with you not on what you're saying but the (laughs) which i agree no i'm (laughs) agreeing i'm not agreeing with you because i think you're right I'm agreeing with you because I think the crowd, Asian New Yorkers want to hear about themselves, is my point. Okay. Right? Yes. So feel. I think you should feel free to just- To highlight the differences. Highlight the differences yeah. and, you know, yeah. Because if you think about it, like people who live in Chinatown, like for all that we say about how the American landscape is, you know, just uh, endless freeways and parking lots and whatever, like there's no- you can't be more different than that than Chinatown in Manhattan. Hell yeah. Like I, these people are, you know, that is like the absolute opposite end of endless suburbanization is Chinatown in Manhattan. You know, and, yeah. and it's such a great setting. And it's yeah. such, like, and the building we're going to be in is such a beautiful building. It's really, it's like this old firehouse. You know what I'm uh, thinking though? Mm. Because of what you're describing, because New York is so compact, like the world is outside your door. Um, you know, one thing I noticed with like hyper media focused activism or, you know, even Asian American representation things is like everything we're talking about, everything we're posting online is always playing to the rafters. It's always, you're always trying to talk to a million people at once. And I think what's refreshing about this film, what's cool about this film is these people don't give a shit about what millions of people think. They're talking directly to the people around them in their community. It's hyper-local dialogue that you get to listen in on as yeah. the viewer. Yeah. And, the event, and that's what makes it refreshing. And, and the event tomorrow will be very hyper-local. Right, you know? because like, you don't care about offending three out of a million people because you're trying to talk to everybody in the world. You're trying to talk to the people that can help you, the people that are next to you, the people that you can help. And so that's the difference, I think. Yeah, I mean, even going towards the the sort of the ethos of the film that you guys were talking about when we first started talking today, um, how you wanted to make this a, po- a film about positive action, positive responses, not sad sack or whatever. You know, a large part of that to me is that the film, from my perspective as an Asian New Yorker watching it, it's a bit of a love letter to say, this is a very cool city. Like this, like the way you guys live yeah. is very different than the way most of us, like, yeah, it's dangerous to commute to work in the subway with a million other people. But on the other hand, 
you commute to work with a million other people in the subway. Like that's not how most of the country is. Most of us are in our cars, you know, boxed in listening to the radio or whatever. And I don't know, like, that's not the point of the film. I know, but like, yet that comes through to me. It's like, um, part of the positivity is also just highlighting like a certain way of life. That's very unique to this place. Uh, and as rarely is the experience of living in New York city, um, seen as an Asian experience and rarely is New York city seen as an Asian city. And that is, uh, probably going to have to change because that is what it is yeah, for sure. Like it's not, I've been here 20 plus years and it's just gone way more Asian, you know, Hell yeah. both top and bottom, both like the influence of Asian capital and more the arrival of more immigrants and the arrival of like other Asians from other parts of the country, like just coming here. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Just All right. I think that's a good way to cap it off, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, listeners, the premiere would have happened, and hopefully you've see, gotten to see this on YouTube, but I think this is a good next step for whatever the hell we're doing here at Plenty. Um, and just, you know... Yeah, it's moving, worked out so far. Yeah, moving on to this next, whatever, you know, era, whatever the fuck. phase. Um, <laughs> yeah, things Plan A, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're very proud of this. It is something that is way more monumental than everything anything we've done before so we hope you enjoyed the film and if you had a chance to come join us in new york we were very happy to see you and we hope you had a good time and dan and ian thank you for joining us uh, any last words before you we sign off no i was just about to say we're very grateful too you know as angelinos coming in from the outside fellow asian americans fellow humans however you want to frame it it's uh, it's it's been a tremendous learning experience for me personally, and I hope uh, audiences will feel the same. And just very grateful. So just want to say that I'm thankful. Thank you. Yeah, I also feel thankful. And 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 Dean, I'm glad you talked about the New York angle because my hope with any time you make a film, like it's so much time, it's not. It's like it costs money. It costs a lot of time. It costs a lot of labor. It takes a lot of thought, and I think the hope is you come out of it with something that lasts the test of time. Like, you can watch this 20 years from now, and let's say, hopefully, like, you know, we're not in the same situation as far as anti-Asian violent attacks, but you can still see it as the spirit of New York. You can still see it as a lifestyle that we documented because we happen to talk to these people and depict their lives the way they live them, and so... Yeah, thank you for this opportunity to like just document this and and make this film. Thanks for knocking it out of the park. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time. Skip from Plan A. Until then, bye everyone. Later. All right.